Hello and welcome to the MJ Cast. My name is Jamin Bull. It is episode 74. Today's record date is Saturday, the 17th of February, 2018. And today I'm here all by myself to do my very first Q&A episode because Q's away on vacation enjoying Europe. Hope you guys enjoy. The following is a presentation from the MJ Cast, the internet's premier podcast on all things Michael Jackson. You're listening to the MJ Cast by MJ fans or MJ fans. The idea is to uh, innovate, or else why, why am I doing it? When I create my music, I feel like an instrument of nature. You let it create itself, really. I know I do. And I love to entertain. That's that's one of my favorite things. I love you. <laughs> I love my fans. Just simply Michael Jackson. Welcome to the MJ Cast, your source of news and discussion on the King of Pop. Well, hello everybody. It's a, a little interesting and, and different for me to be here today uh, with, without anybody to talk to. I'm sort of just talking by myself, which <laughs> which sounds a, a little bit a, a bit weird on my end, and <laughs> I hope it doesn't come across uh, strange to you. Uh, this this is the second time only, actually, that I've ever recorded by myself the, the first episode of the MJ cast well it wasn't really an episode but it was well, way back when I started a few years ago we released a I guess a, a 15 minute test episode I guess on on iTunes for people to listen to just to make sure everything worked correctly before we released our very first episode and 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 I was by myself for that one and that was the the first and and up until now the only time that I've that I've ever done an episode of the MJ cast by myself. So we'll, we'll see how it goes. Q's done a couple of these before, Q&A episodes. Charlie's done one. So I thought it was time that I added my voice to the, the Q&A series that, that we'd been doing. And I think Q, Q and Charlie have both done a great job before. I've got big shoes to fill, but hopefully, hopefully it works out all right. Um, Q is away at the moment. He's overseas on vacation in Europe. Uh, enjoying his time there with the hubs. I, I know he's been exploring the Netherlands quite thoroughly and having a great time with the hubs family. He also stopped in and, and had a look at the uh, the Michael Jackson history promotional statue in Best in the Netherlands. And he, he went and saw that and had a great time. And I'm sure you guys have seen the great photos of that on our on our networks. Uh, I know he also stopped by and had a chat with, with Yannicka of Jackson Source. I think they caught up and it was really great to see those guys together as well. I'm always very jealous of, of Q and the hubs as they travel around the world and enjoy themselves. Uh, hopefully this year as well, I'll be able to go away myself back to China to visit uh, my my family-in-law, my, my wife's family. It's going to be really good being able to introduce Olivia to her grandparents over in China and her auntie and uncle and other extended family for the very first time. But as it stands, the MJ cast is still on a break. We are we are still on our Christmas vacation, a bit of an extended one this time, <laughs> uh, main, mainly because I've, I've started up a new job. Um, I am uh, working at a different school now, still a head of department, still a teacher, but um, I am at a different school now in Brisbane, which is great. I'm loving it. It's really good. But starting in a new job, it is taking me a little bit of time to adjust to the new processes, so... Uh, that should be all smoothed out quite soon, and we should be back ready to record and release throughout 2018. Well, I, we did do a couple of episodes recently. We we do have a couple of recordings in the bag that you guys are really gonna gonna love that are going to be coming out soon as we we launch our fourth season. 
it's very exciting for us going into 2018, our fourth season of the MJ Cast. We still have to pinch ourselves that we've we've made it this far, and it's uh, it's it is really great, and and I can't wait to see where the show goes. A few little changes this year that we talked about in our Christmas episode, and if you want to go back and listen to that, you can and and find out where we're taking the show this year. Um, but it's it's been a good break for me. Good Christmas. Had a really good time. Uh, with my family, we've been we've been in really exploring Brisbane City and, and and loving being back here and and catching up with extended family and friends. Really, really fun. Definitely not going to let being in the city get in the way of um, still regularly releasing episodes of the MJ Cast. Of course, my you know one of my big passions is is the history and art of of Michael Jackson and the Jackson family and Janet Jackson and Three T and and all of those great people from from the Jackson family. So. That's definitely going to continue. We've got some great news stories to cover um, going into 2018 and some great prospects as well as the family continue to tour around the world um, sharing their music with us. So let's get into this Q&A. I had a lot of questions submitted. I'm just scrolling through them now. I've, I've, I'm happy to report that I've, I've set a new record for the MJ cast of questions being submitted. I don't, I don't think there's any other reason for that other than you know, I promoted the episode quite heavily. Q's a little bit more of the opinion that, that um, our Q&A episode should be exclusively for people who listen to the MJ cast when they submit uh, questions in after hearing us promote them on the on the actual show as a podcast and uh, <laughs> I do agree with him but I've got a bit of a competitive bone in my body shall I say so I, I did I did promote our um well, this Q&A quite heavily on social media mainly because I wanted to beat Charlie's record I can't remember what his was I think it was in the 30s or something so there you go boys there's a new record for you to beat 47 um, questions we'll, we'll see how you go uh, a lot of them came in through social media through email a um, couple came in through some unique ways. The, the most recent question was actually submitted about a week ago or less than a week ago from Jason Garcia over at um, MJ Radio. So a lot of wide-ranging questions back from a couple of months ago all the way until a few days ago. So uh, without any uh, further ado, let's get into it. And I hope you guys enjoy this Q&A episode. Uh, the first question I've got was actually submitted through email by uh, one of our long-time listeners, Lachlan Bradbury, he submitted um, about, uh, I think quite a few actually, about five five questions. So we'll work through those. Um, his first one's a little bit about me actually, and he, he wants to know what inspired me uh, to, be, to pursue a career in education as a history teacher. And I think Lachlan... Um, for me, like absolutely, it was. It's because of my love of the past and the mysteries of the past, and and this incredible story that is that is human history. Uh, I'm very interested in in deep the deep prehistoric past, well well before tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of years before humans started writing. We know so little about this time. Um, really, we only have documented history um, in terms of writing for the last you know, five or so thousand years. So when we go back well beyond that time, it's a big mystery as to where humans lived and migrated and how we operated and the different groups and, and well, I'm not sure I would call them civilizations at that point, but but big groups of humans living together. And I love learning about that that time period and also teaching about it as well. I think we can learn a lot from the past. We can learn so many lessons from the past. Uh, when we look at the great classical civilizations of of Rome and Greece, 
we can learn from their their failures and their mistakes, and even in more modern history, modern modern historical times, um, you know, with the collapse of the British Empire and the way England treated so many different cultures as it expanded around the world, we we can learn so many lessons from from history, and and better our own futures and learn from the mistakes of the past, you know. And and I think one of the other things that inspired me to become a history teacher. This is a common thing you hear from teachers uh, is that one of the reasons we become teachers is because we ourselves were inspired by great teachers and and I'm not calling myself a great teacher but I do um, I do aim to be like one particular teacher that I had and his name was Mr. Bill Gilliver and uh, he was a great history teacher of mine at the school I went to. I went to Mueller College um, in northern Brisbane growing up and and I had this wonderful history teacher who sort of broke all the modern rules of teaching. Teaching these days talks a lot about uh, good pedagogy is is really being able to vary your style depending on um, the type of students you have in front of you and the way they learn. And Mr. Gilliver, he broke sort of all those rules and (laughs) by by many people's accounts, I guess they would consider him, uh, would have considered him a you know, the kind of teacher who, who used one style all the time and he just used to storytell. Uh, and, and I'm not, I don't consider myself a great storyteller at all um, in terms of being able to verbally paint pictures of, of the past. But but Mr. Gilliver certainly was and he could just sit on the table in, in the classroom and we'd be at our desks and he could just talk for, for so long about these deep stories of the past. There was so much knowledge in his mind and, and we used to just go on that journey with him learning about great civilizations of the past. And, and um, yeah, it was him that inspired me to love history and therefore love um, sharing my love of history as well with students. I see myself first and foremost as a historian um, and then probably a teacher actually. And hopefully a little bit of my love of history rubs off on students and, and hopefully to some of our listeners as well because I, I consider Michael Jackson to be such an important part of history, such an important figure in modern history. In term, not only in terms of his impact on on entertainment and the world, but also his impacts on um, his his I guess message and illumination of some of the the issues that we face in our modern world. And he was a champion of change and progression. And I think we can learn so much from Michael. So um, yeah, that's a little bit about what inspired me to choose a career in education and, and being a history teacher. And and of course I'm also a head of department, so I um I manage other teachers as well within my school, other history teachers, and and supervise. So I a, a part of it as well as making sure that we have a department that that is, offers a great service to to students who come into our school. And and yeah, it's a, it's a big mission I have before me, but but I love it. Lachlan, your second question, which was also submitted uh, through email, was what were my first impressions or memories of of the movie Moonwalker? When I first saw it, and I was talking to I was talking to Charlie, our um, legal correspondent, on the phone this morning about this. Actually, not not this question, but Moonwalker in general, and and we were reminiscing over it. And I, I remember seeing it really for the first time when when I was a little kid. And I don't have too many memories about it actually, other than being really scared by the 
part in, in Leave Me Alone where there's the crashing teeth coming down and <laughs> Michael's got the cameras going through them. And <laughs> I didn't really watch it properly, I guess, until I was in my teenage years after I'd become a fan. And, and I remember that even then, to be honest, I thought it was a bit cheesy and, and very scattershot and lots of different ideas all melded together into one. And, you know, I, I think, yeah, it, it is a difficult film to watch now because it, it's not, it doesn't really have the feel of a, of a feature film. It's lots of different vignette style things meshed together into one. And to be honest, I don't think some of them I, th- I think some of them are brilliant. I mean, the the man in the mirror live footage at the start and the smooth criminal incredible piece um, directed and uh, by Colin Chilvers and and choreographed by Vincent Patterson is is obviously an amazing portion as well. And leave me alone. And there's so many great parts to it, but there's some parts that really don't stand up as well, like. Um, uh, the the whole children um, in 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 the bad, you know, recreating the bad music video, I think is, yeah, I, it doesn't resonate with me anymore. And and I think if if you get new young Michael Jackson fans watching that now, many of them wouldn't have seen the bad video, and and I <laughs> I'd imagine that they'd be quite confused in that part. So I mean, there's like all things in Michael's career that I mean, there's great parts within it, but you know, there's some other things as well that that um, <laughs> are a bit um, odd now looking back. But but certainly, yeah, it, it, my first impressions of it even then were it's a little bit scattershot, but there's parts of it that are absolutely brilliant and incredible and what, a, what an incredible visionary, visual visionary that Michael Jackson was and that's certainly exemplified by, you know, the, the beautiful stop-motion film for Leave Me Alone and, and, and Smooth Criminal as well. What a masterpiece. Lachlan, your next question is all about what what do I think is the best part about being a Michael Jackson fan? And and reflecting back on it, like absolutely for me that it's the friendships I've made. Q and, and Damien and Charlie Thompson, TJ. There's just so many people in my life that, that I've had the privilege to meet and and um to call friends now, like close personal friends. And, you know, it's Michael really is, um, he brings people together, you know, and there's, it's family, really. We're family. The Michael Jackson fan community, we're family. And, and you know, we, we have that great commonality of being able to celebrate um, the Jackson family's music and, and legacy. So I'm very lucky to know great, great people. And these people are so talented. I mean, Charles, for example, Charlie's a, an award-winning court reporter and, and um, journalist from the UK. Every, every, you know, he's just a great guy and I'm very lucky to know him. And Damien with his incredible writing and Q and, and I being able to do the MJ cast together, I'm very lucky. So good people. And and I think as well the other thing that I'm I really value about me being a Michael fan is the the actual volume of, of recorded music. Uh, we're very lucky. I mean, uh, Michael had had multiple careers within his lifetime as the Jackson Five, the Jacksons, and then also his solo music stretching right out from when he was a kid to when he passed away. And we we just have so much to explore and delve into visually and with music and. His his um, you know his poetry and his art and and live performances. There's just so much. His choreography, fashion. There's just so much depth to analyze, really. And we can spend our whole lifetimes doing that, and there'll still be more. It's um it's great because when I'm just finished exploring and enjoying one era, I go through phases. So I might really be in enjoying the history era, for example for a while and then (laughs) 
just when I'm done with the history era, I'll feel like going back to Dangerous or or Thriller or, you know, back to the, the Destiny era or something like that. And we're just very lucky that we've got so much to enjoy. So, yeah, Lachlan, that's what I think's the best part about being a Michael Jackson fan, the friendships and the volume of, of art. Uh, your next email, Lachlan, was about... It says, how optimistic are you about the future of Michael Jackson product releases? That is to say, on the recent developments of Thriller 3D, the prospect of Ghosts and other Jackson films receiving restorations and high-definition releases. Well, I've, I've got to be honest here. I am a bit of a pessimist when it, when it comes to the Michael Jackson estate, as, as many of you obviously know. I'm of the opinion that 99% of, of what they do is really, really poor. So, um, <laughs> sorry to take it in a bit of a negative turn there, but I don't really have a great feeling about the future. Yeah, there's been a couple of good products. Like I think Bad 25 in general was good, except for the fact that it had um, a concert of very, very poor quality video, which um, is regrettable. You know, I think I've, I think there's a couple of projects in there you can look to and, and or point to and, and say that they did a great job, but... But ultimately, most of them are really poor. Like, and we've covered them on the show before, but I mean, I don't need to get into all of them, but the Michael album has fake Michael Jackson songs on it. Um, Their Halloween compilation is missing Is It Scary, which is Michael's most epic of all Halloween songs. They released a a box set of quote-unquote remastered Michael Jackson music videos, which weren't remastered. Um, Nearly nearly everything they do is... is, um, disappointing and and quite frankly boring and i think they need to raise the bar and uh, i don't have high hopes i mean thriller 3d by all accounts was an, was an excellent presentation of that film i know some people have some issues with it being cropped and not shown in a four by three uh, ratio to see as much information as we can but all in all i think it's a really great thing they did there and that's what I do want them to focus on basically I can sum up in one sentence how I think the Michael Jackson estate should run and that is um, preserving and presenting Michael Jackson's original art in as much quality as they possibly can and as authentically as they possibly can they I mean I I do know they they need to take Michael to, to different markets and new markets and that's that's fine and they can do their cartoons and they can do their fashion lines or whatever they want to do and that's fine but you know at the end of the day what what we want as fans is is michael and new fans are going to want michael as well and the original michael the authentic michael uh, being presented as as well as he can be presented so we'll, we'll see where they go in the future but i think we need to keep raising our voices and and being unified in in our in our desire for great quality michael jackson original and authentic products and hopefully, um, you know, hopefully they will deliver in the future, but we'll see. I doubt it. <laughs> the other part to it, though, is, and this is something that uh, is, is very frustrating for me as a, as a fan of Michael Jackson, is I do want to, to buy great Michael Jackson products. I do want to physically go to, to the cinema and see Thriller 3D, and I want to do those things. But I can't, because when you look at the state of his estate... You know, there's some seriously big question marks around it. The authenticity of the the will in which they used to to gain con- that John Branker and John McClane used to gain control of the estate, the way they treat his family, the the absolutely um, unethical and criminal behaviours they have exhibited since um, becoming head of his estate, and the under- undervaluing of his image with the um, IRS, and 
oh boy, the fake songs that they're still making profits of and all of those kind of things. You know, I could go on forever. So it's it's difficult for me because I want them to do a good job because in my heart, I believe that new fans and fans that aren't as educated as some of us um, shouldn't be blamed if they if they support the estate, if they go and buy, you know, Michael Jackson products and, and those kind of things. I, I don't actually feel that's wrong because, you know, people that are new fans or uneducated, they shouldn't be held to the same level of responsibility. But once we understand the truth around those who control his estate and Michael's opinion of Sony and, and, you know, John Branker and people like that. Once we know that and understand it, I think we should be held to a higher level of responsibility. And, um, I feel I'm in that position, you know, I feel like it would be wrong for me to financially support them. So I, um, and everyone's different and I don't blame you if you have a different view, that's fine. But, but for me, I don't feel comfortable with that. So it's difficult because I have to see all these people around me enjoying, <laughs> these products and, and I, you know, sometimes I can't, but, um, that's okay. I'm, I can, I can live with that. Lachlan, your next email was about how I broke into the Michael Jackson fan community and what advice I would give new fans who wish to engage with local fan communities. Well, I became a fan in 2001. And if you want to listen to episode zero of the MJ cast, which was released way back when, uh, a few years ago, you can hear my, my fan story, my complete fan story. And I'm on how I became a fan. And it was all to do with watching the 30th anniversary concert and just being blown away. And uh, after I saw that concert and I became a mega fan, um, I was always scouring the internet for you know news of rumors and, and appearances and new photos of Michael and news of recording sessions and new concerts. And it was almost a worldwide event every time Michael Jackson went into public. You'd be glued to the news sites to see what he was wearing, uh, how he'd styled himself to get some kind of hint of what the next era was bringing. It was actually quite an exciting time, honestly. And uh, you'd hear, <laughs> you'd read all kinds of rumors about who, who he was recording with and what studios he was working in and um, what his next album might be called and what different songs might be coming out on it. And there were song leaks. And I remember when Escape leaked, it was sad that it leaked, but by God, it was a, an exciting time for fans. It was such a powerful song, better than really anything else on Invincible, I thought. And um, it was a great throwback to that powerful, strong history era, Michael, where he was, you know, calling out those people trying to control him and great, great time. So anyway, I I broke into the community really through wanting to learn all the latest news and going onto news sites, they had forums attached to them. Uh, and I joined in on those forums, a lot of them actually, to to just to discuss Michael. And it was the same as it was now. Like people, you know, we think about the post, you know, um, 2009 era as being full of, you know, a fractured, divided fan community with people arguing all the time. And it, it definitely was less divided then, but there was still lots of silly arguments that always used to happen on fan communities. And it was pretty much the same as it is now. And I have mixed feelings from those days, to be honest. I, I remember a lot of arguments people that are overprotective and overzealous um, who basically worship Michael and <laughs> unwilling to discuss truth or criticism. And, you know, and it, it was a frustrating time. And, and I think I was just sort of on the big forums. I was on the really big ones, the popular ones, because I wanted the news first. And when you are on obviously the biggest entities or the biggest online entities around Michael Jackson, you do encounter a lot of those kind of people who are unwilling to get to, to go deep and be critical and, and unpack a lot of Michael's work. And 
yeah, <laughs> I wouldn't change it though. Like I learned a lot and and I've met a lot of great people. But my advice to you, if you're a, a new Michael Jackson fan and you want to get into the community, is to really find yourself a little subgroup or sub community where you can surround yourself with other Michael Jackson fans who are mature, educated, focused on the truth, level headed. Um, and enjoy, and, and this is a, a big one, but really people who enjoy music outside of Michael as well, um, because some Michael Jackson fans just, he's their world, like, you know, he's their everything, their display picture, their <laughs> their entire music catalog, their the clothing they wear, he's everything to them. So, you know, just, I don't know, they're fun people, but at the end of the day, try and meet some round, like well-rounded sort of people who have... Um, you know, mature, educated views and are not going to suck you into a weird pseudo-religious underbelly of the Michael community. And <laughs> it's certainly out there and it's a scary, scary place. So, um, yeah, yeah, that's all I can say. And, I mean, we, we interact with a lot of those great sort of people anyway. So if you're new to the community, have a look at our Twitter feed at the MJ cast and the sort of people we interact with. And, yeah, it's a good start. Um, the next email we got was from Lewis LaRoche. And, and Lewis asks, uh, if Michael was alive today, what would he make of the scandals surrounding two of his former quote-unquote friends, Donald Trump and R. Kelly? Now, this is a really good question. And thanks for sending that in, Lewis. By the way, I love you. Love your work. Love your remixes. Thanks for that awesome thriller remix. Uh, I listen to it all the time. It <laughs> definitely um, made me see the song in a totally different light. And I love it. Anyway, um, so great question. Uh, Michael really stayed out of politics a lot. Uh, so I think it would be the same now if he was alive now. And I mean, I think he would have made some key um, statements, maybe through music or a speech here or there. But all in all, throughout his life, he really tried to stay out of politics. And there were some big scandals and and some controversial leaders around um, when Michael was alive, you know, of, of course, you know, George Bush Sr. and um, the involvement in, in Iraq at that time in the first Gulf War and, and, and Bush, you know, the whole the Bush Jr. era with, with um, the invasion of Iraq and Afghanistan. And, you know, Michael, Michael did make subtle statements on those things through songs like We've Had Enough. And, you know, he had... He did. I believe he did have political views, but he tried to hide them, and I'm and I'm not really sure why. I think honestly, it was a mix between um, number one. I think he 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 was a Jehovah's Witness. He was raised a Jehovah's Witness, and he did leave the church, obviously. But but I think um, you know it's important. Jehovah's Witness pe- people they they stay out of politics. They don't vote. So I think there was that impact on him. I think there was the whole Motown training of trying to get Michael and, and his brothers to appeal to as many people as they could, you know, to be as universal as they could. And you could see that even in all of their interviews. They're quite coy and vague in a lot of their answers. And I think that also had an impact on making Michael a little uncomfortable talking about politics. Maybe it was in the back of his head if he comes out one way or the other in support of one politician or political group that, that maybe it might turn the other people off. I don't know. Maybe that's just a guess. But he did. He did support. He did support the Democrats. He, you know, he performed at Bill uh, a Bill Clinton um, arranged Democratic convention in two thousand and two, and he was friends with the Clinton family. I think it was more like a favor to the Clintons though than in support of the Democrats. I'm not really sure there. But look, um, Michael's political views themselves. If you look at the content of his music, um, are pretty clear. Um, 
you know, I, but, I, but I think if, if he was around today, I think he'd have to have to make some kind of comment about Trump or, you know, express. I mean, there's so much injustice happening, especially around the treatment of his people, African-Americans, that he, he, would, he would comment in some way. I don't think it would be all the time, and I think it would be probably through music, but, but that's about it. Look, as for our Kelly, oh, and I'll just comment on his apparent friendship with Trump as well. I'm not really sure, like, how close I would, I would consider them as friends. Like, there's photos of them together. You know, Michael stayed in Trump Tower for a while. But, look, I'm, Michael mixed with a lot of people, you know? And I, I don't know if I would say they were friends. And I certainly don't think Michael would be supportive of Trump's behavior now. Trump's behavior now is, is very different to what it was in the 90s and the 80s. You know, I mean, he was behaving poorly then as well, but it wasn't as documented. Anyway, let's talk about R. Kelly. I, I think Michael certainly would have distanced himself from R. Kelly. I mean, R. Kelly's the... Oh, boy. Like, he, he hasn't been proven guilty in a court of law around um, the allegations to do with him in terms of underage sex with... Um, sorry, I should say sexual involvement with underage girls. Um, a range of underage girls, and you know those are things. That, those are things have been proven. You know he was he was married to Aaliyah when she was underage, and the the marriage had to be um, you know nullified. And um, you know there's in the <sighs> there's plenty of girls that have come forward about him and families as well. So I mean I think I think it's quite clear that R. Kelly is is um, a figure in the entertainment world who behaves really unethically and poorly, and is somebody we should condemn. The evidence is there. The evidence is clear. I think that Michael would be disgusted um, with R. Kelly's behavior. And um, I think he would have distanced himself from R. Kelly. You could see Michael distancing himself from people who had um, questionable behavior. Now, um, he worked with a... Michael actually worked with a videographer, I think it was, or a producer at some point called Mark Schaffel or Mark Schaffel. I'm not sure how to pronounce his name, but he ended up being involved in the porn industry. I think he was a gay porn director or producer or something like that and you know as soon as michael found that out he stopped working with that guy and that's not like you know i'm not to say i'm not saying that guy was behaving criminally at all but um michael didn't seem to like to work with people who were involved in those kind of industries and r kelly certainly has had some um very questionable behavior in his sexual relationships and, and romantic relationships and i don't think michael would want that rubbing off on his reputation so yeah, I think he'd be disappointed, and I, and I think we we do, we wouldn't have seen any more R. Kelly collaborations like we did in the '90s and the early 2000s with "You You Are Not Alone" and "Cry" and and those kind of songs. All right, so next question comes from Carly Swan, our the MJ Cast historian and live tweeting queen. So thanks, Carly. Um, this came in through an email and it says, if the MJ cast had have started while Michael Jackson was here, which year would it have started and why? Look, I often think about this and, and the most exciting time to do it, I think, would have been around the trial, to be honest, to be perfectly honest. We're a news and discussion podcast. So we, we do some artistic analysis and, and, then the, and those kind of things here and there, but but mainly our bread and butter is news and discussion. We, we like to keep the Michael Jackson fan community up to date with news. And what we like to do is, at the crux of it, we like to be 
the fan friends to, to Michael Jackson fans who, who don't have real life Michael Jackson fan friends. So I think there would have been no better time to provide people company and balance and news and information than during the trial. Can you imagine if, if we were around in 2003 to five with Charlie doing, you know, um, episodes that unpack the, the latest court documents on the trial and how it was unfolding and it would have been amazing. But, but certainly beyond that, I think it would have been great and exciting to, to manage and discuss all of the rumors around Michael's creative output um, after the trial as well. I mean, he was flying around the world working with different musicians and producers and, and um, you know, collaborators everywhere and, you know, a couple of songs leaking out here and there, lots of photos of him and it would have been great to keep people up to date with what he was working on and doing. Um, I, I know it was really exciting actually um, being a member of Maximum Jackson in that time, the, the forum, and there was a good thread there actually that was run by um, their reporter, Damien Shields, and he, he used to keep the community really up to date with all the interviews that were coming out from music producers and collaborators who were in the press talking about their work with Michael. And, um, yeah, boy, that would have been cool to actually bring to people in an audio format type way. But anyway, um, alas, we weren't around. We, we had, I had the idea for it when Michael was alive um, for the MJ cast, but we, we didn't actually put it together for quite a few years um, for, for a number of reasons. But uh, I'm glad we eventually did, and, and now we get to be doing it every, uh, every week. Oh, yeah, I just wanted to say one more thing. We, we love our special episodes and interviewing Michael Jackson collaborators, but imagine how cool it would have been to do special interviews with collaborators who were actually working with Michael at the time. Oh, boy, that would have, <laughs> that would have been cool. But uh, anyway, we, we can't change the past and we can only move forward. So anyway, I'm just glad we've, we're doing it now. Carly, you sent in another email to us and asked, how long does it take to edit an episode of the MJ cast? Thanks for asking this question. I like talking about it because um, not many people ask. They're not, not too many people are, are too interested on how, you know, the behind the scenes, behind the curtain, how we put an episode of the MJ cast together. So I'll, I'll go through it now. Um, I, I can record and edit an entire show basically in one whole day if I work really hard. It, it takes basically start to finish an entire day to do it. Um, <laughs> much to the disgust of my, my wife. And, and I have to acknowledge her again. My wife, Lee, is just amazing in her patience for, for with me and Q doing this and, and, and to the hubs as well. Thank you. But yeah, we, basically what we do, the first thing we do is we build our show notes. We use a collaborative space called OneNote, um, which syncs between all of our you know computers, our, our Macs and iPads and iPhones and everything. And we drop our stuff into that. As soon as a news item happens, we put it straight in there. And, and we build our show notes there. We add notes to them, what, what songs we want to play in the episodes, what we want to talk about, um, the main discussion topics. The, lots of people collaborate in them. Different people that, that are involved in our show get in there and read them and research before we do episodes. Um, and, and once we do that, we, we start recording. So we lock in a date. We put it in. We have a shared calendar for the MJ cast. And we have all our recording dates laid out for the future and who we're talking to and and then it comes time to record. So we usually start in the morning um, on a Saturday morning at 9 a.m. Eastern Australian time is when we usually link up. Uh, I use an app called Skype Call Recorder, which, um, I, you know, we have a Skype conversation between multiple participants. And I use that app. It's a Mac OS app. And it sort of captures the audio. It captures my audio locally. And then it captures the audio of all the other participants in one separate track as well. And when we finish the call, I usually have a little break. 
you know, have some lunch or something and go for a drive and then come back and, and then I start the editing process. So our calls are usually quite a lot longer than the episodes because there's a lot of, you know, toilet breaks and um, <laughs> chit-chat and mistakes and, you know, audio dropouts and, and Skype screws up all the time. I hate Skype, just saying. Um, <laughs> but I, I usually come back then and I use an app called um, Adobe Audition on macOS and, and I apply quite a few different tools to remove background noise and balance audio levels out. And this is the longest part, really. I, removing things like ums, awkward silences, mistakes, all of that, and actually mixing the audio, that can take a really long time. Dropping songs in, doing fades, um, all of that. You know, sometimes it can take, you know, up to five or so hours to, to edit one episode. And also sometimes our shows are recorded in multiple sessions. We might, people might submit audio segments in. We might have separate recordings with people and drop that into the show. So we might record shows over a couple of days. Often we do pickup recordings. We might not be happy with a particular section of the show and we come back together to do it again the next week. Um, Sometimes we scrap entire episodes. There's been two or three times where where we've recorded an entire episode and we're not happy with the vibe of it and we can it. And then we do it all again. So all in all, it can take quite a while. Um, after I've recorded and edited, then I make the artwork for the show. Um, we put the show notes online on WordPress, ready for the website release. And, and by then, it's usually around dinner time and of, of that you know Saturday evening. And, and then we push the show out and it's always really exciting. And I always get butterflies still, even today, even 74 episodes in. Every time I release a new episode... I get that giddy excitement and <laughs> I can't wait to see how it gets received by, by Michael Jackson fans all around the world. And um, yeah, that's how, we, that's how we make a show and, and I love doing it and um, wouldn't change it for the world. But it is, it is a lot of work, I'm not going to lie. So <laughs> yeah, anyway, thanks Carly. And you've got another question now, Carly. Um, this is your last question and you asked, what are you most proud of about the MJ Casts? Another great question, thank you. Look, I got to say, I think there's a few things, but number one is consistent releases. When we started, I, I really thought that we would have trouble releasing consistently and quality episodes, but I'm really proud that even three years on, we've been able to maintain the quality and, and our original vision of what the MJ cast was. You know, capturing the stories of Michael Jackson collaborators, that that's all really awesome too, but... At the end of it all, I think what I'm most proud of is is bringing company and entertainment to people who are dealing with, you know, things like long commutes or hospital stays or difficult periods in their lives or people that just don't have many Michael Jackson friends in real life. I love that idea of us being company to people who really need it or want it. And, you know, I've, there's been times where I've had to do when I was going to uni, for example, um, for a couple of years there, I was doing massive train ride commutes into university and and the podcasts I loved in the past inspired me to want to bring company to other people that are struggling with their life circumstances. Growing up, I, I sort of thought that all Michael Jackson fans had real life MJ mates just because I was lucky to have quite a few and it's just not true. It's just, you know, so many, I would say most of our listeners just don't know in real life, other Michael Jackson fans in their cities. A lot do, but a lot don't. And, you know, I think Q and I often have to pinch ourselves because we realize how lucky we are. We're so blessed. And I think moving forward as we evolve into, you know, hopefully monetizing the show at some point, I'd really like to, you know, think that we'd be proud as well of being able to give back to the world on behalf of Michael and, and his fan community too. 
So, um, yeah, that's what I'm proud of about the MJ cast.
This is Michael Prince, studio engineer and producer with Michael Jackson, and you're listening to the MJ Cast. Mike Wilson, Michael Wilson, sent us an email um, as well saying, any chance you guys are getting Rodney Jerkins on the show? Invincible is the only album we barely know anything about and uh, would love his insight into those sessions. Michael, what a cool question. Thank you so much. I would love to do this. I, I so love this idea. You know what? Rodney is a very busy guy, though, and isn't um, as interactive on social media with, with people as some other MJ collaborators are. Super busy guy. I mean, this guy works with the hottest names in the industry. So, um, you know, maybe one day. I'm not sure. Like, until then... Um, there are some great places where you can go to read about his work with Michael Jackson. Escape Origins by Damien Shields is one of them. Um, he he is an interesting guy because he has produced some gems with Michael. We've had enough Escape, and you know Michael really poured his heart and soul into those songs, and he certainly took music, um, Michael's music, in a in a very unique direction. And and I know some people are quite critical of his work with Michael and the way it sounds. But uh, Michael obviously really wanted to experiment with music and sounds at that period or that juncture and did a lot of things with Rodney. So I'd love to talk about those stories of particularly about when Michael was instructing him to go out to junkyards and things and, and record really unique sounding instruments and, and things that you, you can't pick as a particular instrument. Uh, I'd like to talk about that innovation and what Michael's visions were there and how they did that and how often they went back and forth on songs and some, you know, some stories from the studio. Uh, I'm never going to stop. I'm trying to get these people on, you know, as long as I'm doing the MJ cast, I'm going to keep reaching out to them. So yeah, I'll keep working on Rodney and um, Michael, you will be the first to know <laughs> as soon as we have a Rodney Jack and special locked in for the MJ cast. Ashley White, legendary listener. Love you, Ash. Ash Bash, as I call him. That's my nickname. So Ashley sent an email in and he says, what is your favorite Michael Jackson interview? And you know, that's, that's tough because Michael interviews are funny. Sometimes they're great and some sometimes they're just really vague and, and he's quite coy. Um, but, you know, one of my favorites for sure is his Geraldo interview during the trial. Uh, he is just a regular dude in that interview saying it like it is and just, you know, leveling with us and, and talking about the, the difficult time he's going through. He comments on the, um, you know, Nipplegate Super Bowl incident with, with his sister uh, he talks about Eminem in it and Eminem bagging him out. And <laughs> he it's a great interview. Like, he, he really just levels with us about the things he's dealing with. And um, Geraldo is really respectful and nice. And they're just two regular guys having a chat. And I really recommend you watch it. If you haven't seen Michael Jackson's Geraldo interview with Geraldo Rivera from the, the mid-2000s, when just at the point where Michael had been accused for the second time of, of um, child molestation, you know, it's it's a difficult time for Michael, but he gives a great, great interview. Um, I also love his interview with Ebony magazine um, in the late 2000s. The audio of that interview is phenomenal. He seems so alert and um, just great answers about the thriller era and recording thriller. So, uh, yeah, they're probably my two favorites, his Geraldo interview and his Ebony interview. Uh, Ashley also asks what my favorite 3T songs are. And I've got three of them. Um, anything is awesome. I, I have a history with that song that goes way back before I was a Michael Jackson fan or Jackson family fan. Um, it was on, it was the opening track of the first CD I ever had. My grandmother, she bought me for my birthday, actually. I can't remember what year it was, but it was my first ever CD. 
and it's called Hit Machine 14. <laughs> Had a green cover, and it was like a, a you know sort of a you know those albums that come out like um, So Fresh and and things like that that are like the, the latest all the latest songs on one on one album and. Uh, yeah, um, this album had had anything on it by 3T. I think it was no, it wasn't the first song on the album actually. The Macarena was <laughs> the Macarena. That's right. There was two versions of Macarena. The, the the first track and the last track on the album. So it might have been the second track. But um, yeah, 3T's Anything was on there, and I loved it from that moment. It's a great great song. Um, also, I love their song. I appreciate that was one of our wedding songs. I made a video to it of all of the footage and all of my favorite footage and photos from my wife and I's early, um, before we were married, when we, when we first met and I put all of those, that, that footage to the song I appreciate. And I played it when we were getting changed into a different costume during our wedding. I played that for the audience to watch and I love it. And I also, my third favorite three T song is a really recent one. It came out on their, their latest album, um, chapter three and the songs heaven, and um, I believe it's also uh, TJ Jackson's wife, one of her favorite 3D songs as well. I think she said on Twitter at some point, Francis. And uh, it's, it's a great, great song. So anything I appreciate in heaven. I love their slow jam sort of love songs with those gorgeous, gorgeous Jackson harmonies. And I, I just look forward to getting more, more music from 3T. Okay, question 13. We got a lot <laughs> to get through, guys, so let's keep moving. Chris Lacey sent an email in and asked uh, me to name an artist, band, or producer you wish Michael Jackson had collaborated with in his lifetime. What would that song or album sound and feel like? Great question. I love these kind. Michael actually worked with most of the producers I love already. I think he made a really good decision to avoid working with Timberland whose music, in my opinion, has a very flippant kind of feel to it that doesn't really take itself seriously. Uh, I'd, I'd glad he sort of didn't work with Timberland. I, I don't like the music that came out um, that Timberland remixed in on Escape. You know, I do, I do feel, honestly, and, you know, this is a matter of opinion, but I'd, and I might be shooting myself in the foot here with chances of getting Rodney on the show at some point. But um, <laughs> in all honesty, I, I do feel that Michael made an error in judgment to continue working with Rodney um, for Invincible. Sources tell us that Michael was quite unhappy with Rodney's work in the early Invincible sessions and really only stayed with him because Rodney begged him. I think he'd been better off sort of recording the majority of an album with producers like Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis for Invincible, just taking that history sound, but just expanding on it and more songs like Scream and Too Bad and Tabloid Junkie and that kind of thing. Like Escape. Imagine if imagine if Jam, there was a Jam and Lewis Escape. Oh, my God. Their, their work on history is, is absolutely phenomenal. I think I don't know necessarily if that's Rodney's fault though like Rodney's early work for Michael was apparently much more smooth and and like harkening back to the um off the wall era I guess it's kind of like that you rock my world feel and it was actually Michael who kind of pressured Rodney to go in that really electronic experimental kind of sound direction and I just don't think what they had together was that great in terms of that output and um yeah, I wish Michael had thrown in with Jam and Lewis or someone like that. But of course, you know, they were Janet's producer and I don't know whether <laughs> whether um whether that would have worked, but I think he uh, you know, I in hindsight, I think he should have gone in the direction of uh there's a group from the late 90s 
Most of them are still around making great music. They called themselves loosely the Soulquarians. They weren't a band, but a production collective from the early 2000s as well. James Poyser, Questlove, Q-Tip from A Tribe Called Quest, Jay Diller, Common, um, Erica Badu. All of these people were working together at that time to, to work on each other's albums. And their albums were a part of what's, what we call the neo-soul movement. I mean, look what it did for D'Angelo and, and his album. Uh, I I just think, you know, and Janet did work with some of these people. Janet actually worked with Jay Diller on one of my favorite songs ever from the Velvet Robe album in her entire catalog, Got Till It's Gone. And I think Michael could have gone in a more mature direction, neo-soul direction, blending some hip-hop beats with, with great soul um, music and live instrumentation. And I think he could have could have adopted that sound at least for a few tracks maybe on Invincible we kind of get a little bit of it on some songs like Butterflies is a good example of that but I would have liked much much more of that I would have liked a much more mature organic sound full of lush Jackson harmonies and maybe we wouldn't have got some mega hit singles out of him but Michael had that all throughout his career and I think you know, him transitioning into a more mature artist would have been a good thing. And and like we kind of say on an upcoming episode that you're going to hear pretty soon when we're talking to Chris Lacey and Andy Healy again, I really think one of one, something that hurt Michael was him trying to constantly chase Thriller and get all these m- massive number one hits that sold millions and millions of copies and appealing to everybody. Where he went with history was great. And I just think he should have continued that onwards a little bit more. Chris sent another email um, and said, if the estate were to construct a proper 30th anniversary tribute to Michael Jackson's dangerous album, what features should they include? Well, honestly, they just need to do Bad 25, but dangerous style. Um, Except not not a VHS concert, please. Uh, Could we have something high definition? Look, I think there's a lot of unreleased tracks out there that could be included on there. We know that there's a solo Michael Jackson version of the song Joy that he collaborated with um, Teddy Riley on. And that song actually ended up being recorded by Blackstreet. Um, and released and it's a beautiful beautiful song it reminds me of someone put your hand out which is another favorite of mine so songs like that um some of those songs by producers like brian loren um if you don't love me work that body uh she got it (laughs) those those kind of things um definitely extended and alternate tracks some of those have already come out there's some there's some alternate jam tracks that that teddy worked on uh, alternate versions of, of remember the time with a uh, different vibe to them uh, longer versions of songs um i i think a lot of those kind of things could come out maybe acapellas or yeah who knows uh, definitely a hd remaster of a dangerous concert would be really cool um even though i don't like dangerous concerts all that much um <laughs> and that's a mix between me not liking the costuming, the fashion choices in the show mostly, like especially the gold G-string thing, um, and and also the fact that there's so so many lip-synced songs. But you know what? Um, the Dangerous Tour, all in all, is a pretty amazing spectacle. So I think if they released a HD version of that, that would be pretty cool. And you know, HD remasters of the classic videos, but definitely a documentary on the whole era, like we got with Bad Twenty Five and Michael Jackson's journey from Motown to Off the Wall. But you know what? I would really inc- like to in- see them include truthful depictions of what happened during the era. The Dangerous Era was just, oh my God, just overwhelming. 
like Michael's incredible uh, short films creating such massive statements around the world, um, you know, like black or white, it, it would be great to analyze and delve into those and the cultural impact of those. But you can't forget as well that the era finished with some pretty full-on things that revealed a lot to us about Michael Jackson as a character. Like Michael at that time was abusing drugs really heavily because of his dependency on them. And, you know, you would have, and he, he canceled concerts in, in Asia and he had to eventually cancel the entire tour because of a combination between his addiction to opioids and the um, child abuse allegations from, from Jordan Chandler surfacing. So it, it was an era that finished in a, in a disastrous way for Michael Jackson, and, and he never really fully recovered from it. So I don't think you could truthfully do a documentary on that era unless you delved into those things. And I'm sick of documentaries coming out um, that place Michael Jackson on this pedestal without discussing the the elements of his career that, that we need to be, you know, um, maybe not critical of, but we need to look at the dark side of his career as well. You know, mainly for the reason that he, because he... He was able to overcome a lot of those things and and fight back against them in later times, but you know those parts, those those elements of his life are a part of his story, and and we need to see them and understand them. So hopefully, if they did a documentary on the dangerous era, it would be truthful and it would delve into some of those darker things as well. Okay, Chris Lacey sent another email, um, which says if. What, if anything, can the fans do to build a healthier relationship with the estate to ensure we collectively present Michael's artistry in the best way possible? Now, thank you very much for that email, Chris. And my answer, I don't know how much you'll like my answer, but (laughs) it's from my heart and it's what I truly believe. And I, I don't think we should have a healthy relationship with the estate. I don't think that's the right way to approach this. I think that would be the right way to approach it if the estate were run by was run by good people, but it's not. It's run by criminals. These are people that have released fraudulent Michael Jackson songs to the world and they're making money off fake songs that his family begged them not to release. These are people that undervalued Michael Jackson's image to the IRS, tried to cheat the IRS. These are people that, that might, that, that, you know, John Branker is a person Michael was just, he despised him. He fired him um, and asked him to hand back his will. And, and John Branker never did. And then used that will to gain control of his estate after he died. These are people we shouldn't trust. These are criminals. Um, and I believe the executors are fraudulent. And, and I think that treatment of Michael's family and his children is, is disgusting. Um, I, I believe we should protest them through not giving them our money. I understand that um, some people think there's a, it, there's a higher aim to protect Michael's art and legacy by, you know, appeasing them. But I think there's an even higher aim than that, and that's defending Michael and the truth. So in a perfect world, I wish we could get along with the executors, and I wish we could support them if they were good people. But the reality we're in is, is not that. The reality we're in is that Michael's estate is being run by people that his family don't want there. And they've bullied his family into um, submission. And I think we should stand up for the truth. But that's just my take on it. 
Uh, Rachel Tyler sent an email in about Justin Timberlake being announced as the Super Bowl halftime performer. And uh, at the time that she sent this in, uh, his performance hadn't happened yet. So she said, how do you think it'll play out? Do you think Janet will be a surprised guest? And if she is, what will that be like? I'm torn because I want her to return triumphant in front of the Super Bowl audience, a.k.a. most of America. But honestly, that's what the State of the World Tour was, her triumphant return. Performing with JT at the Super Bowl again, in my opinion, may just cement that 2004 event is the entirety of her legacy, especially for a new generation of young people. I would respect it if her decision is not to give JT or the NFL her time or attention. Maybe his set will just begin with a public apology from him to Janet. What are your opinions and predictions on this matter? Well, um, uh, before it even happened, Janet herself came out and, re- and said and released a statement saying that she wasn't going to be involved. And I'm really glad, to be honest. Um, the whole institution, the media, Justin, the um, NFL, treated her disgustingly after 2004. You know, she she took every bit of blame for what happened. And, you know, she she handled it like a boss, <laughs> to, be, to be frank. But the thing is... Um, she has said that it was an accident. She said that it was never intended to happen. Justin was never meant to reveal her breast. Uh, he was. It was meant to be a stunt where he was meant to pull off a piece of clothing that was just meant to reveal her bra, not not the entire breast. And you know, Justin has also since admitted that he uh, wasn't rehearsing correctly um, prior, and that he could have focused a lot more on what he had to do. And unfortunately. Um, it didn't work out the way that it should have, and we all know what happened after that. Janet really was vilified, you know, and, and I think ethnicity has a lot to do with that. I think the Jackson name had a lot to do with that, and I think Justin handled it really, really poorly for many, many years after. And, you know, as we know with that Super Bowl performance in particular, like... <laughs> You know, he he um it was controversial. The Prince community was absolutely not happy with him um using Prince's image in, in his performance, especially because, you know, he some of the horrible things that he said about Prince when Prince was alive. So, um I think that it's good that Janet didn't involve herself with him again. I think that was the classy move. I think she's above and beyond that now. The State of the World Tour was a massive success. The Unbreakable album, in my opinion, is is an excellent album. And she's doing it all on her own bat, you know, independent releases. And I don't think she needs to do that. I think it would be a bad move. I think it would be p- taking people back to that time. Uh, and I don't think she owes that to, to Justin. I don't think Justin deserves to be on the same stage with her. I believe Janet just needs to get past it and, and get back to what she, she does. And that's great music and great performances. And let the past be the past and move on. Okay, so Majil Jensen uh, sent an email in as well. Thank you, Majil. And he has said, I have read that Michael was in the process of composing a classical piece of music at the final stages of his life. Uh, I understand he even had discussions with a composer on how to improve or compose the piece. Is anything known about this work? Like, how did he compose it, considering Michael did not write musical notes? Was anything ever recorded? Were other people involved? I'm really curious about this side of Michael we don't know much about. I hope you have, or can find, 
a bit more info on this. Yeah, I know a little bit. Some of it I can't share because (laughs) the person I know it from has interviewed the composer that Michael was working with before he died. And this was some of the final work Michael was actually doing. And I can tell you that it wasn't sort of just sketched out. There were there were actual ideas that could still be brought to fruition. I won't go into detail about them because the conversations that took place between Michael and this person, the collaborations, the music, details about that will come out in the future in a project that doesn't deserve to be spoiled, Okay. Um, but I'll tell you this, you need to keep your eye on a Twitter account called at a truth untold, because the project that comes out of that group or account is where you're going to find out all the answers to your questions. So out of respect for Damien and, um, you know, the, the movement of a truth untold, uh, I don't want to spoil that information, but Michael was hard at work. So anyway, more to come. Question from Madison Mariah Jones on Facebook. And her question is, have you tried or are you planning on getting Teddy Riley as a guest? I'd really love to hear about the making of the Dangerous album. Thank you in advance. Okay, so good question. Thank you. Uh, I would love Teddy on the show, but the problem is that Teddy and I have a very strange relationship. Um, We actually used to talk back and forth a little bit on Twitter via DM around uh, the Casio tracks. Uh, it kind of all started when I called him out publicly on his involvement with the songs and, um, you know, throwing Michael under the bus and his family. And, and I said to him that he needed to tell us the truth of what happened and apologize because we wanted the old Teddy back. I basically just said to him, we want the old Teddy Riley back before the horrible era of the Michael album. And he responded and was very honest and, and started talking about how the Casio family screwed him over and how he was the fall guy and all of that kind of thing. And some of his responses to me in private will also um, come out through uh, the the great work of, of A Truth Untold and Damien Shields. But the thing is, over time, he sort of slowly stopped talking to me. Um, <laughs> and now he doesn't really reply at all when I DM him. And I, th- I don't know why. I think it's because I came on a little bit strong with him in those early days around his involvement in the fake songs. Um, and he might be a bit wary of me for that. I don't know. Yeah, so don't hold your breath there. I, I wish in hindsight, like at that time, I wasn't really focused on the MJ cast. I was more working with A Truth Untold and on, on that project. So, yeah, um, I wish now that it had been handled a little bit differently in one way because I'd love to have been able to speak to him uh, about his great work with Michael in on you know Dangerous and uh, Blood on the Dance Floor and yeah Invincible so unfortunately the Teddy Riley interview probably isn't on the cards but like Rodney I will keep working on that and hopefully one day we can speak to Teddy but he is in my opinion probably one of the most, or if not the most, talented and versatile producer, um, maybe apart from Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis, really, but one of the most talented and versatile producers that Michael ever worked with. Keep your ear to the ground. Philippe Hilario from Facebook also asked a question. Thank you, Philippe. And he says, 
I want to know if you have any idea who owns the rights to the Triumph and Victory tour footage and if there's a chance that it's actually going to be released one day. The restoration they did of the Triumph tour footage for Michael Jackson's journey from Motown to Off the Wall documentary looks stunning. Now, unfortunately, Philippe, I really have no idea. I hope it comes out because this is where Michael was at his most raw as a performer. Maybe not his most polished, but certainly his most raw and organic and that's what I like seeing Michael as um, personally. So, yeah, hopefully that footage comes out. No idea who owns the rights. It wouldn't hurt to just tweet the Jacksons. They are at Jacksons on Twitter. And they do res- respond to a lot of fans. So, just at them and, and ask. They might answer. Who knows? Adrian Proson on Facebook asks a great question. He says, with Michael's 10th death anniversary approaching in the next 18 months. How, if at all, do you think the estate should commemorate it? Uh, For example, a re-release, repackage of currently released material, unreleased stuff, etc. Look, they're really not good at things like that. (laughs) They're bad at normal releases. So them being appropriate and um, putting out releases that are sentimental and meaningful at really crucial junctures is something that I think is really truly beyond their ability they're just not subtle at all and they are not classy at all. Like, look at their social media presence now. Every time they put out a picture of Michael Jackson, some terrible Google image search thing with watermarks and crap on it. Like, they, they don't even... Yeah. I, I don't... They're not classy at, at the easiest of times. I can't imagine they would be classy at the most important of times, like Michael's, you know, the 10th anniversary of his passing. Uh, they missed the most important, one of the most important junctures that they could have after Michael died when Elizabeth Taylor passed away. It would have been the perfect opportunity for them to to do something like release a charity single then. Uh, maybe, you know, what was that song that Michael recorded that he devoted to Elizabeth? Elizabeth, I love you. Imagine if they had a record, you know, released that and then all the proceeds could have gone to um, the Elizabeth Taylor AIDS Foundation. But, you know, they don't do things like that at all. So I don't think they'll acknowledge, they might acknowledge it, but I don't think it's going to be in a particularly meaningful or classy way. I do think it's not a great idea for them to release unreleased music on that time, um, especially if they're going to be asking money for it. That doesn't, that doesn't really strike me as classy. (laughs) It's like Michael's in the, Michael's name's in the news again because he passed away now by ourselves. I don't know. I just think we should look to his family at that time to see what they do. Well, that'll be classy. Sylvie... Whoa, I can't say this last name. Hang on. Sylvie Lefebvre. Mm. <laughs> Sorry, Sylvie. I bet I got that wrong. Um, she sent me a Facebook question and asked, when people ask you what's your favorite MJ song and why, can you actually answer the question? And yes, I can. I never used to be able to, but it's want to be starting something. I uh, love it. I've talked about it before on the MJ cast. And if you want a really detailed answer on why I love that song, stay tuned for an episode coming out soon with Andy Healy and Chris Lacey. Uh, Sylvie also asked if you had the unbelievable opportunity to interview MJ and ask him one question, what would you have asked him? Well, honestly, I'd have asked him to talk about his artistry. I get so frustrated when I watch Michael Jackson interviews um, now, as, especially as such a historical figure, an important historical figure of American and world history. And you want to learn about his actual artistry. And when, at the time he was alive, all interviewers wanted to ask him about was his nose and children. Like, come on, the allegations. 
like, yeah, I guess, I guess, you know, it's fine. But the thing is, like, Michael released some of the most incredible art the world has ever, ever, ever seen. His dance speaks for itself, but something that doesn't speak for itself are his cryptic lyrics. Um, he wrote, he was a, a really great lyricist. Honestly, Michael, he was an awesome songwriter, but his lyrics are one of the most underappreciated elements of his artistry. And I would love to have asked him about some of those lyrics, maybe on a song like Too Bad. Like, what the hell does that mean? <laughs> I'd love to have sat with him and spoken about that. But you know what? Honestly, I probably just would have asked him for a selfie. <laughs> and that would have been my display pick forever. <laughs> I would do anything, girl, anything for you. Sitting at home another lonely night Wish you were here so I could hold you tight Pain in my heart because I'm all alone Why did you leave? Why did your love have to go? When I would do anything for you Confused, I don't know where to start. Visions of love forever in my mind. I wait for the day when I can say that love's mine. Cause I would do anything for you. Yes, I would. I'll give you my I'll give you love. The things you want.
Hey, this is Taj Jackson of 3T, and you're listening to the MJ Cast. JD at Mixing History on Twitter asked me, What do you think is Michael's biggest missed opportunity? Simple doing an unplugged show, hands down. Michael's shows got bigger and more grand every time he did a tour to their detriment. Like he he wanted them to become these amazing big theatrical productions with tanks rolling out on stage. And I think he kind of forgot that, you know, what? why did people fall in love with him? His voice, his moves, his art, you know, raw Michael. And all of those things above and beyond that are cool, like jetpacks and tanks and bulldozers. But at the end of the day, they're sort of gimmicky, in my opinion. Mainly, I wanted to hear Michael sing live and, you know, real instruments. So if Michael had have done a once-off unplugged show where it was just him and his band and a spotlight and his voice and his art, I think that would have been incredible. And if it had been filmed... On, on you know on film and released uh, as a home video, we could point to that to anyone forever and say this is Michael at his rawest and and most amazing uh, live, and we can't do that really. We can't do that. Hopefully one day we can when when um, I don't know maybe a Destiny or Triumph show gets released for us, but we have to wait and be patient until then. So yeah, an unplugged show was his biggest missed opportunity, and I wish he'd done it. Sharon Kissner, Say La Vie on Twitter. That's at S-E-Y-L-A-H-V-E-E. Asks, do you think in 20 or more years, the world will look at Michael the way we fans do now as the genius that he was? I think on record, yes, yes. Although that was kind of in question lately with Quincy's comments. But I do think as a musical recording artist, yes. His music videos and short films, yes. His dance and choreography, yes. As a live performer, I don't think so. I think it's critical that his late 70s and early 80s tours get HD releases if we want future generations to remember him as the brilliant performer he was. Most of the stuff on YouTube, which is where the kids go to see things, is of Michael literally pretending to sing live. And the stuff where he was singing live and being an amazing organic, incredible performer is all terrible, terrible quality. So I think, yeah, most of Michael's legacy is protected and he will always be considered a genius. But as a live musician and performer, I think the estate needs to address that for sure. Okay, Liam asks a question at WCE Liam on Twitter. He asks, if you could... Would you rather watch Michael sing Billie Jean with live vocals, with no dancing at all, or Billie Jean lip-synced with his peak dancing? When I was younger, I think, um, well, I think I would have preferred the dancing when I was like 15, (laughs) to be honest. Uh, But at that time, I wasn't as, you know, mature. I wasn't as seasoned a musical appreciator. Uh, I... I think I was at that time sort of into the the showmanship and the the spectacle like I talked about before. But as I grew older, it was sort of the music and the nuanced vocal delivery that I kind of got into more. So now, asking me the question now when I'm 31, definitely live vocals for sure. The dancing is cool and magical 
and everything like that. But honestly, it doesn't give me goosebumps like it used to. When I see Michael Moonwalk now, it's damn cool and incredible, but I don't get goosebumps like I used to. When I hear Michael singing live, I still get goosebumps. <laughs> so for me, yeah, it's, it's the singing. Liam asked another question. Favorite and least favorite song of each solo album by Michael. I'm just going to list these. I won't explain why because then the show will be 8 million hours when now it's already quite long. Um, so yeah, Off the Wall, favorite song, I Can't Help It. Least favorite, Girlfriend. Thriller, favorite song, Want to Be Starting Something. Least favorite, The Girl Is Mine. Bad, Man in the Mirror is my favorite song. And my least favorite is Just Good Friends. Um, Dangerous, my favorite song is Jam. And my least favorite song is, this is going to shock you all, but Keep the Faith. Um, favorite song on history is Money. And least favorite song is Little Susie. Um, not to say it's a bad song, but it just really didn't fit on that album. Um, favorite song from Blood on the Dance Floor is Ghosts. And my least favorite is Superfly Sister. My favorite song on Invincible is definitely Break of Dawn. And my least favorite song is, well, there's too many to mention, but probably don't walk away. <laughs> um, Liam sent another question in on Twitter. Thanks, Liam. Uh, you're walking down a street in LA and you bump into John Branker. What do you say? That rhymes. Well, um, to be honest, I'd probably give him feedback around how disappointed I am in him for ignoring Michael's family and his fans and continuing to profit off fake Michael Jackson songs. I would not be nice. <laughs> That's for sure. I'd be giving him peace of my mind. Honest feedback, real honest feedback around his disgusting behavior and um, how disappointed I am. Cool. All right. Bruce Aguila at... Y-E-N-S-I-D 98, Yansid 98 on Twitter says, do you have a favorite piece of MJ memorabilia, either something you own or not? Okay. In terms of physical things, I think probably, hmm, I don't have many of them. I have very few things. I'm mainly a collector of digital things, but yeah, physical, I have a bad tour program, like an original Australian leg bad tour program, which is really awesome. It's got some great photos in it, all information about the band, and it's amazing. So I love that. And something I don't own, probably like original Captain EO memorabilia, like Disney memorabilia, like those little cool pins, Captain EO pins. Yeah, there's some cool stuff from the 80s that I think are nice. Travois at... T-R-A-V-O-I-S underscore Y-T on Twitter asks, how did you first hear about MJ, if you can remember? Well, I don't really remember, but I think that one of my earliest memories is probably playing Moonwalker on Sega with a childhood friend. That was like, yeah, pretty, pretty early memory there. And to be honest, I sort of also remember my friends making some pretty nasty MJ jokes when I was growing up as well in, in primary school. So, yeah, they're probably my, the first time I heard about Michael was probably probably playing Moonwalker on Ziga. Okay, Austin Ernst, long-time listener, love you, Austin, at Creative Art APE on Twitter, asks, Predictions on the estate moving forward. Will we see music like Can't Get Your Weight Off Me or unreleased concerts finally released this year? If not, when? Look, I think we'll see Thriller and Ghosts come out at the cinema this year. Um, I think we will see, yeah, some more some visual things happening. But I honestly don't believe that we're going to see any unreleased music coming soon. 
you know, the estate has actually come out and said that. They're, they're saying that they have no plans anytime soon to release unreleased music. I think that's a good move, to be honest, because the barrel's running dry. <laughs> and the more they do, like, they don't need to rush it. We've got a lifetime to wait. We've got a, a massive long time to wait to enjoy these things as they slowly come out. Um, I think they, they like I said, the, the emphasis needs to be on preserving the work that Michael already released. That's what should be happening first and foremost, getting his concerts, getting his short films out on high quality footage in the cinema for new generations to appreciate. Get it on Netflix, get it places where people go and spread his art in high quality. That's what I'm hoping for. I don't think we're going to see Get Your Weight Off Me come out. It, um, I've heard it, as you know, and I can say with my hand on my heart that it should have definitely been on the Michael album or Escape. It is a completed, invincible era, amazing song, and I've got no idea why it didn't come out, but it didn't. They probably don't even have it, to be honest. The estate probably doesn't have a copy. <laughs> anyway, moving forward. June Astford at J-A-S-T-F-O-R-D on Twitter. Um, <laughs> um, sorry, my baby girl's just yelling in the background. Um <laughs> I don't know if you could hear her. Hi, Olivia. So, June Astford asked, would like your opinion on Stranger in Moscow and Whatever Happens. They're two of my favorites that never seem to get much attention. I feel they're constructed so beautifully. And look, I fully agree. I love both of them. Stranger in Moscow is such a pure Michael and Brad composition. Livy? Talk into the microphone. <laughs> <laughs> is that right? Wow. What do you think about Michael Jackson, Livy? Yeah. <laughs> Me too. Okay, getting back to Stranger in Moscow. Um, I love them both. Sim, Sim is such a pure Michael and Brad Buxer composition. It captures a mood and feeling so beautifully. The percussion and instrumentation is timeless. It's a really mature, unique, beautiful piece of work. Um, I love it, and it's timeless, and it represents Michael so, so well, and in his work with Brad, obviously. Um, whatever Happens is also wonderful, uh, but I think it's let down slightly by a funny vocal delivery. To me, to me, Michael always sounded a little bit sort of nasally in that song, um, but it is a great song too. Uh, it was great to hear Michael experiment with Latin music, um, and it was certainly a surprise when I first heard it and loved it, and I played it so much, just on repeat. I remember sitting in my room in um in a, in summer really after invincible got released and just playing whatever happens over and over again and it really suited that hot summer feel um <laughs> and i loved it i just wish michael i don't know why why he sounds a little bit different on it maybe it was the mix maybe it's more the way he was recorded i'm not sure so thanks for that question june michael clark on twitter at love soul 81 um, sent in a question, which producer would you like to have seen Michael work with and why? Well, sorry, um, Michael, but I've, I've already answered that one. That's uh, That was question 13 by Chris Lacey. Already got to that. So um, hopefully you enjoyed that answer. Uh, at Marita Applehead on Instagram, that's M-E-R-I-T-A Applehead. 
one of our long-time listeners, love you, Marita, submitted a, a great question and it says, if Michael was still here, do you think Michael would use social media like Prince and Madonna or just let a team run official accounts? If so, which do you think would be his favorite social media platform? And I honestly think that Michael um, didn't seem to be very technologically minded. Like he knew about technology and he knew what good technology was, especially in terms of creativity um, and the types of cameras to use and, and, you know, recording equipment. And, And I get that. But in terms of the internet... I don't think he was that focused on it. I think he, he sort of, you know, he had such an incredibly giant life traveling all around the world. And um, he was kind of like a young dad when the internet sort of started to evolve. So I don't think he had a lot of time for it. And to be honest, I think he stayed away from it because of the fact that there was so much nastiness on there. Like, I think he would have suffered so much brutal abuse, to be perfectly frank. If you look at Paris Jackson's Twitter account and you look at what people say to her, it is disgusting. Absolutely wrong what people say to her. And I can't imagine what it would have been like for Michael, um, having just come through two sets of horrendous allegations against him. He would have copped some serious flack, um, you know, for his appearance, for his um, allegations. And I think it would have been really unhealthy for him to see all that all the time. Um, especially because he was such a sensitive person. And I think he would have let teams run his account for sure. But in controlled ways, I think he would have engaged with his fans on social media, probably through video updates, like he did from time to time anyway, to be honest. Michael was sort of a pioneer online with the internet as well, with michaeljackson.com and some you know musical things he put out online and um, the way that he interacted with fans through voice updates in the 90s. Um, He was doing some cool stuff online back then. But yeah, social media, I think he would have steered clear from it. He did steer clear from it. And I think for good reason. Marita sends through another question on Instagram. A really good one. Michael is obviously your number one favorite artist as he should be. But who else would you consider favorite artists and bands? Okay, well, I like all genres of music, to be honest. Um, I like everything from hip hop to jazz to rock to you know, soul, all kinds of music. Uh, In terms of hip-hop, I love um, bands like A Tribe Called Quest. I love Jay Dilla. You know, hip-hop from the 90s, really like sort of great pioneers, Notorious B.I.G. Yeah, anyway, with R&B music, I sort of love Janet, (laughs) of course. Big Jackson's fan, you know, like Jackson family fan. I love Aaliyah. Um, her work that she was doing with Missy Elliott and Timberland was really, really cool. But I, like I was sort of saying before, I like sort of neo-soul stuff from the 90s. Um, really, that was blending hip-hop production with organic soul-type instrumentation. That's probably my ultimate favorite type of music. Um, I do love the music of the 60s and 70s, like James Brown and Marvin Gaye and Miles Davis. Um, Marvin especially had an incredible run of albums with What's Going On, Let's Get It On and I Want You. I enjoy more alternative and experimental rock like Radiohead. Electronica, I enjoy sort of early Daft Punk. In terms of jazz music as well, I'm, I really enjoy Miles Davis and John Coltrane and at the moment, I'm really enjoying darker soundscapes, like some really underground indie sort of 
doom jazz bands. Um, there's one called there's one from Germany called Boren and Der Club of Gore, which is <laughs> really terrifying jazz. It's like dark jazz that you would kind of hear in the background of crime movies and stuff. Yeah, I don't know. I just I find it really cool to read too, and um, I like I like reading crime crime novels and stuff. So yeah, it's good soundscapes to enjoy crime literature. I like music, um, I guess, that can relax me when I'm doing other things like reading and work. But I, I listen to way less music now than I used to, to be honest, since I discovered podcasts a number of years ago. I listen to mainly when I'm listening to stuff. It's it's podcasts. At Sweet Alexa Love on Instagram sends a question. If you had the chance to stay at Neverland for 24 hours, what would you do? Well, I guess I'm, I'm presuming that you mean that when Michael was alive rather than going to Neverland now. But to be honest, you know, I think I would have enjoyed the rides in the theater and stuff like that, like everybody else talks about. But I think I would have gotten over that sort of stuff a little quickly. <laughs> um, being a Michael fan, I think I would have just liked exploring the grounds with him and, and just maybe going four-wheel driving with Michael Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> around the grounds of Neverland. That would be cool. And just having really long conversations with him about the property and why he chose it and just about life as well. It would have been really cool. See, I, I, I like the idea of Michael. I like the, the thought of Michael exploring the natural element of Neverland. I know he used to like going up Mount Catherine and, and he was talking about, I think it was in Living with Michael Jackson or somewhere, he was talking about quad biking around Neverland. <laughs> that would have been kind of cool. Sweet Alexa Love sends another question on Instagram. If Michael was alive, what would you say to him? To be honest, I would probably just say thank you. I would be hysteric though. Like if he was in real life, like in front of me, I'd be a mess. But um, <laughs> I don't think I would be composed at all. But um, I would I would probably find it within myself to say thank you. Um, for the music and the entertainment, but but really, um, you know, and, and of course, all he gave back to the world, but for allowing me to feel emotions to such an intensity that I don't think I would have if I hadn't have discovered his music. I can get lost in Michael's music and art for hours. Uh, he's given me a lifetime of entertainment and art to explore, and he's given us, all of his fans really, a philosophy as well. Um, of holding on to the childlike, simple things of life, approaching life with a sense of wonderment and wanting to learn, to strive to be better and give back and, you know, to be, to, to be humble and kind people and to stand up for truth and what's right. So I think I would say thank you. Yeah. Okay. Uh, at MJJ. Okay. This one's, I can't even say this. At MJJ HSAVHA on Instagram asks great question thank you how do you think michael would react to how fandom has adapted to recent developments in terms of establishing many layers of fan support through social media and different platforms do you think he would feel transparent through access that fans have to many aspects of his life or would he embrace the overwhelming support and dedication uh, i think he would embrace the support and activism but would feel that he would need to keep his privacy protected as well. 
Um, not just from those hurling abuse at him, as we've seen happen with Paris, but also those crazy, insane fans who think that he's some kind of god, um, their husband or some <laughs> some kind of sexual object to lust over all day. And I think that he would have also wanted separation from that, certainly. I mean, he had a lot of those people in his life chasing him everywhere all the time, and he wrote songs about them and... Yeah, I think it would have been difficult for him to engage with fans on social media. I mean, you can see them all now. You see what they get up to, and it's odd. So, anyway. At Hassa81 on Instagram asks, As Michael wanted to act more, what role do you think would have suited him? Um. Okay, so... To be frank, for me, the harsh truth is that I think no role would have suited him as he was in the late 2000s. He was too well-known. He was absolutely too well-known. He was the most famous person on the planet. And the whole idea of of an actor is that you forget they're an actor and you go into a, a state of disbelief and they're a character. And, and I think his fame would have hindered him from doing that. And dare I say it, he had, you know, had a lot of cosmetic surgery by that point as well. So I don't think that he would have been relatable to, as a person, you know, really. Maybe some kind of role uh, in a lot of makeup. I don't know. Like he did the whole Men in Black thing, which was kind of cool. But, you know, like as soon as he came on screen in Men in Black 2, I saw it in the cinema. And as soon as he came on screen, the entire cinema just burst out cheering. I remember it. And it was because he was Michael Jackson. So I don't think he would have would have suited a you know, character role. But I think he would have been great as a director or, or um, you know, a visionary for film. Maybe a producer, actually, more so than a director. Because I, I think as Charlie said in his Q&A at some point, he said that it would have been really hard for Michael to focus as a director day-to-day, like day-in, day-out. Really grueling, long schedules. So I think Michael maybe would have, have made a better producer than a director. Um, who knows? Anyway. At Hassa81 on Instagram said, what's your earliest memory of MJ when he blew you away with his magic? <laughs> uh, yeah, 30th anniversary concert, the way you make me feel. I mean, the Jackson section was great and I was like cheering with my dad, just like, wow, this is so cool. These guys are amazing. I'll never forget that moment. But, um, you know, it's when it's when after Chris Tucker had, had done his little comedy skit and the lights went down and... You know, that little cool vocal harmony intro to The Way You Make Me Feel started. And and Michael was just the consummate showman. The hat, the moves, oh my God, the magic. He was a classic entertainer on, on that stage. It was like a mix between seeing Fred Astaire or Gene Kelly and this iconic pop musician all together in one thing. It was awesome and i'll never forget it my heart was beating a million miles an hour Uh, i was on the edge of my seat this was a classic showman and i yeah i have earlier memories i guess but this was the moment the way you make me feel 30th anniversary concert was the moment when i knew wow this this guy is an incredible historical musical icon and i have to know everything he's doing from now on because i want to see what he comes out with next um, Hassa81 on Instagram also asks, other than seeing, singing live more, would, uh, what would you have liked to see MJ do more in concert? Um, the opposite. I'd like to have seen him do less. 
He'd sort of done everything by that time, by the time he died anyway. He, he'd done it all. He'd done like sort of minimalist performances. He'd done massive performances with tanks and bulldozers. And I wanted to see less, less props, less dancing. Um, he, he couldn't have topped what he had done in the past with dancing. So why try? It was captured on film. It was there forever. He'd done it. So I think he should have deviated from that and evolved in other ways. Less props, less dancing, more intimacy and variation, maybe some of his lesser-known back catalogue. It was a real treat to hear Speechless and This Is It and just more moments like that would have been really cool. Okay, Hass's next question was, what singles would you replace with a non-released album track slash B-side? Sorry, too big a question, too broad. Look, I think Michael was generally very, very smart around his single releases. I can't think of too many singles that Michael released that I would drop off his albums. Most of the songs I think could have, that could have come off his albums and replaced with better songs that he recorded were album tracks. You know, a lot of times people, you know, sort of spread that... You know, that that dogma, that Michael Jackson fan dogma that Michael had no filler. Everything was a hit. I disagree. I think that there was filler on his on some of his albums. And and I think some of that could have come out and he recorded better songs that he had that he never released for each album that could have could have gone on those albums. And uh, maybe he just kept them there because they weren't ready and he wanted to continue to work on them and evolve them for future albums. But I mean, just look at Invincible, for example. There are some really lackluster songs on that album. And he kept Escape and We've Had Enough and Get Your Weight Off Me and, you know, multiple amazing songs in the background. Um, A Place With No Name. He kept them and didn't release them and they could have come out. But who knows? Who knows the reasons? But yeah, Michael's singles in general were awesome and I wouldn't replace them at all. At You Got Nathan on Instagram says, what are songs released by other artists that you wish were MJs? For example, a lot of the Pharrell tracks that went to Justin Timberlake and Usher, etc. Also, do you think Invincible would have been more well-received if MJ had taken those songs? Look, I think the obvious one is Rock Your Body. Justin Timberlake took that. Uh, Pharrell wrote Rock Your Body and Justin took that. And it certainly would have been better with Michael on it, I think, than Justin. And it easily would have been a stronger track than most of what was on Invincible. I have no idea why Michael passed up uh, Rock Your Body. Uh, It's a good song. And if Invincible had have had it, I think it would have been a stronger album. I could just imagine Rock Your Body being the lead single with a really kick-ass music video with lots of awesome dancing Um, But unfortunately, it wasn't to be. Invincible is a strange era. There was lots and lots of different producers involved in that album. There were lots of cooks in the kitchen and um, a lot of suits as well at Sony wanting what they wanted. Everybody wanted something out of Invincible. Everybody wanted something out of Michael. And uh, I think it became too big for him in the end uh, to handle. And what came out wasn't uh, the best thing we could have seen from Michael at that time. But anyway... At you got Nathan asks another question: Will the MJ cast ever do an Invincible album slash era roundtable, or although a stretch, maybe reach out to Rodney, Doctor Freeze, and others who worked on it? Loved the Michael Prince episode for that reason. Okay, great question. Well, it's uh, to be honest, a matter of time. We will do an Invincible roundtable. I can guarantee you that. We have spoken to Chris Lacey and we have spoken to Andy Healy. 
about doing more uh, focused episodes on albums. Um, and as Andy releases um, MJ101 books on, on different albums, we would love to to get them back on the line and, and talk about those albums. So it is just a matter of time, I, I believe, before Andy does an Invincible 101 book. And I can guarantee you that we'll all be there to talk about it when he does. So just, yeah, keep your ear to the ground on that one. In terms of this this concept of doing focused episodes on eras and albums, yeah, I mean, it's something I want to do. Like, it's just not the right time for me to do that. Like, I mean, you can look at things like uh, John Cameron's work, for example. For uh, He did a great, he's done two great, great, um, you know, uh, audio documentary presentations on, on one on Janet Jackson and one on the dangerous era for Michael Jackson. And those, those things are things that I certainly have the skills to be able to put together and the, and the back catalog of interviews now. And we could, we could definitely do things like that. But <laughs> at the moment, I'm still really passionate about doing news and discussion and capturing interviews with people that worked with Michael Jackson. I've got my whole life to be doing shows that are audio documentaries with background music and and audio interview snippets and song snippets. And I want to get to those one day and I I do want to do them. But but I think that now is not the right time. The main reason being that to produce something like that is really, you asked John, I mean, like it is a lot of time and a lot of work and I could do it, but I just, to be frank, like don't have the time having an eight month old daughter you know, a really demanding job, a heavily demanding job. And Q and I feel really passionate about what we're doing right now with the MJ cast. We, we are doing what we love now. So yeah, we want to do that here and there. And we want to do that more in the future when the MJ cast continues to evolve, maybe when news and stuff slows down in the future. But for now, we, we love what we're doing and we're going to take it easy and and that, that's going to come in the future. Um, so, yeah, keep your ear to the ground until then. And then also look at John Cameron's account. I think, yeah, he's on he's on Twitter and Facebook. We'll put his links in the show notes. And he's got great stuff that comes out like that. And, yeah, he's he's who to look to if you want audio documentaries on eras with, with interview snippets and stuff in there as well.
Hi, I'm Vincent Patterson. Please come and join us on the MJ Cast. We'd love to have you with us. Okay. At E-M-X-N-C-I-P-A-T-I-O-N. It's like emancipation with an X in there. On Instagram asks your thoughts on Prince and Michael's relationship. Um, I hate to do this. This is such a non-answer. But <laughs> if you want to hear my thoughts on Prince and Michael, go back and listen to the Prince and Michael roundtables that we did with um, friend of the show, Casey Rain, um, from season two. They are really cool and go into detail about Prince and Michael and their friendly rivalry in the 80s and their music and to be honest they didn't really have much of a relationship like they had meetings here and there and they were obviously somewhat competitive um but yeah they didn't really talk a lot like they weren't friends and they didn't interact a whole lot so their relationship is not so much i can't really comment on that but yeah you can you can listen to that episode and we discuss the interplays between their art um, and, and the cultural landscape where they were both releasing art into. And uh, we com- we sort of, I don't like to use the word compare, but we definitely talk about, you know, both of them as artists and who had strengths in different areas. Uh, friend of the show, Sammy, great, great guy, um, at sammy.n.b.y on Instagram asks, what happened with the rumors of an interview with Mr. Capetta? Meaning <laughs> Jason Malachi, obviously the, the fake vocalist on the Michael album and the singer that, that sounds uncannily like Michael Jackson. Uh, look, I'm going to be honest. I've spoken with him. I have spoken with him multiple times on the phone. Um, every single time I talk with him, he pretends it's not him. I call his workplace <laughs> to try and talk to him. I, I really want to propose an interview to him where I can talk about his involvement in that project and, you know, other things too, like his art and his thoughts on Michael, but, but mainly really to talk about his involvement in those, those songs. Uh, and every time I talk to him, he pretends it's not him. He, 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 it's clearly him. Like, I know his voice, but he says, it's, it's not Jason. Jason isn't here right now. It's just, just weird. Um, but anyway, I've spoken to him. Um, he doesn't want to engage with me. It's unlikely. We've also talked on, like, DM on Twitter, uh, where he has engaged with me as him. And he, I don't know, like he's just an odd guy. He, he, he refuses to admit that it's him on that album. And one day I'll talk to him, I hope, but let's see what happens. Um, next question from at Joe Keegan's, J-O-E-K-E-E-G-A-N-S on Instagram. If you were commissioned chairman of the MJ estate, what would be the first thing or things you would change? Okay, another non-answer, but we have an episode coming out this season. Um, It's going to be a roundtable episode with multiple prominent Michael Jackson fan participants where we're all going to talk about what we would do if we were in charge of the Michael Jackson estate. So, going to be a great episode. Keep your eye on the MJ Cast's social media to see when that's coming out. Uh, I won't answer that question now because, you know what? It's coming and it's going to be awesome. All right, we are now at the end of an epic episode of Q&A questions. Uh, Thank you so much to all people who sent in questions. I really, really appreciate it. Um, I I know I probably haven't been able to go into as much 
academic depth, you know, like other, some other Michael Jackson fans um, who put out, you know, great work like uh, Charlie Thompson, for example, with his great Q&A. People like Liz and Karen over at uh, Michael Jackson's Dream Lives On podcast. Um, you know, I, I probably haven't been able to go into as much detail about Michael Jackson's art, but you know what? I did my best. So um, I've got to the, we've got to the last question, and this one's from friend of the show, Jason Garcia, former collaborator at uh, the MJ Cast in Espanol, who now runs the amazing MJ Radio. Uh, we'll put links to that that uh, Spanish Michael Jackson podcast in the show notes. But he's asked me, "Hey, Jamin, I think you should do." at least a stream on Q's declarations. It's a hot topic now. And we're not talking about Q as in the MJ cast Q. Hey Q. But Quincy Jones, of course. And and we know that, boy, like has this hit the news? Like Quincy Jones has done interviews recently or a particular interview. I can't remember who it was with. It might have been Variety or something like that. But um, he, he, the last few years, Quincy Jones has really started to run his mouth around Michael Jackson and uh, this is hitting the news. Like, I mean, I, I was at work when this news story broke and I had a, a, just a colleague at work come up to me and say, hey, did you know about what Quincy Jones is saying? He's saying that Michael Jackson stole Billie Jean. Um, I had um, family contact me about it. Just just people, this, this spread like wildfire, this story. Quincy's making a few um, accusations. Not not just about stealing music. He was saying, he has said recently that Michael Jackson faked a skin condition so that he could change his skin to be white. He has said that Michael Jackson has stolen music and called Michael Jackson Machiavellian, um, meaning, you know, <laughs> doing anything to get where he wanted to be. But let's break each issue down one by one. The vitiligo. Michael had vitiligo, okay? Michael, it was his autopsy confirmed that. He had vitiligo. He had a skin disease, a skin condition that slowly wrecked the pigmentation, the natural pigmentation of his skin in blotches across his skin until a majority of his skin had become light, a light complexion. Uh, Michael was vocal about that in two interviews during his lifetime. And Quincy, unfortunately, is uh, failing to acknowledge what his friend dealt with as a skin disease and is choosing to promote the untrue and popular tabloid narrative that Michael did not want to be black and wanted to become white, which is not true when you look at the evidence. So to that I would say I'm disappointed in Quincy because he's ignoring the truth around his friend and collaborator. That's a shame. That's a real shame. And I just hope that Jackson family members have reached out to Quincy and said, what are you doing? What are you doing here? And I hope that at some point in the future, Quincy apologizes or acknowledges that his comments have been out of place. So that's on vitiligo. As a, oh boy, as a, as a, um, a thief, (laughs) he's saying Michael was a thief of music. Um, Well, this is a complex topic because Michael, we know for a fact worked with musicians in his lifetime and credited himself on work as being a writer and um, producer and and composer on music that we know other people composed for Michael. 
which is also unfortunate. But um, so Michael did have a history of actually not crediting people correctly on his work. And, and that's unfortunate because when things like this happen and people like Quincy Jones accuse Michael of stealing music, it's really hard to defend Michael because Michael himself didn't actually cr- credit some of his collaborators correctly. Um, an example of that is Brad Buxer on Stranger in Moscow. We know Brad was an absolutely massive part of Stranger in Moscow in terms of writing its instrumentation and music. But I was talking to my friend recently, Damien, and we, we, were to- we talked about this and we talked about the difference between Michael working with a hired musician, somebody who is being paid like an hourly rate basically to uh, bring Michael's ideas to fruition or bring ideas in general to fruition for Michael to then work on. And how it, and I'm not sure, and I'm just going to say straight up, I'm not sure about the legalities around this, but I would assume that if Michael was employing people as hired work at an hourly rate, it's a little bit different to if somebody starts to work with Michael Jackson under the agreement, contractual agreement, that they would be credited for whatever they create together. So Michael legally probably wasn't obligated to acknowledge some of his collaborators in the credits of albums. I still don't think that makes it right. I still think ethically people needed recognition where it was due. For example, um, some of the people who wrote parts of Michael Jackson's work, you know, and and Brad Buxer is a good example of that. And I don't know whether Greg Fillingaines might also be an example of that, um, having written some parts of um, Michael's work that came out in the late 70s and 80s. So um, to that, I would say the jury's out. Um, I have listened to the Donna Summer song that Quincy Jones says is uh, where, where um, the, the actual bass line for Billie Jean comes from. And, and I will admit the bass line is, is very similar. And I wouldn't say it's the same at all. The tempo is very different. And, um, you know, it's not the same bass line, but it's very, very similar in its nature. And I think that um, there is a strong chance that Michael did take it um, or was at the very least inspired by it heavily because there's other instances of that happening. If you listen to the orchestra, I don't know what the piece is called, but if you've ever seen the film Jaws, the music that plays in the credits, it's an orchestral piece. I don't know if it's John Williams, but it it there's a portion of it that sounds exactly like the melody of Heal the World. Exactly. Like it's impossible. Well, I'm not going to say impossible, but it's almost impossible that Michael would independently come up with the melody for Heal the World having not heard that orchestral piece in the credits of Jaws because it's so similar. It's the same. But... You know, I don't even care so much if Michael was inspired by other music as a musician and borrowed elements and built on elements and was inspired by themes and notes and chords. And that's fine to me. The problem comes from the fact that in many interviews, Michael Jackson himself tells us as his audience, as his fans, that he would be given the music from God. Like that's literally what he would say. When people would ask him, how do you write a song? He would say, it has nothing to do with him. The music is given to him. It's dropped in his lap from the heavens. He's a conduit for this music. Hmm. <laughs> do we really believe that? I never bought it when Michael would say things like that. I never bought it. I'm an atheist. I don't necessarily believe in that. Yes, I believe that there is 
I, I believe Michael would have been connected with nature and um, artistic beauty and all of those kind of things and was inspired by those things. But I don't necessarily think that some kind of deity was choosing to drop music in Michael Jackson's lap. I think it was much more likely that Michael soaked in all of the music he was hearing around him all the time as a lover and appreciator of art and was at its most innocent, potentially subconsciously inspired by notes and chords and melodies that he was hearing. And and it happens to all of us. You know, we might hear a portion of a song and then that would that stays with us and then we can build around that and create more around that. I think that's much more likely in the case of, of how Michael's art evolved. So... Yeah, no credence whatsoever to what Quincy was saying around the vitiligo. Potentially some credence around the fact that Michael was not crediting some of the places where he he was inspired musically. And in terms of being Machiavellian, in being brazenly wanting to get to a position of power and domination in the industry, no matter what it took, Hmm, no, I'm sorry, I don't buy that. I think Michael wanted success because I think he wanted to prove to the world what he as a black American could accomplish and do better than anybody else that had done it before him. And I think that's that he wanted to reach those heights as well to be able to be in a position where he could change things and give back and, and just spread his music and love to the entire world. Uh, on a scale that had never been done before. I think he pursued those for noble reasons. I truly believe that. I don't believe that Michael pursued fame and power um, for selfish reasons of domination. I think he pursued them for noble reasons. Um, And that's evident throughout what he gave back in his lifetime to charity and um, all the wonderful art and entertainment and love that he shared with his fans. And I think that's what he'll be remembered for not for some smack talk from from Quincy Jones, even though I do acknowledge how great a collaborator Quincy was as well. It's unfortunate that the end of the the story of Michael and Quincy's relationship is is now tainted, you know, by some of these nasty things that that he's saying. Their relationship before then in the in the popular in in the court of popular opinion was a, a beautiful relationship of wonderful collaboration between two powerful black musicians who changed the world and now it's changing to be a narrative of Quincy accusing Michael of nasty things and that's a shame a real shame and um, I think Quincy could have handled this a lot better so that's my thoughts Jason um, (laughs) on that situation that's the end of our questions that's the end of the Q&A 47 questions all done locked in uh, thank you very much to everybody who stayed with me and listened to all of those. <laughs> I'm sure many of you have bored out of your braids, but uh, thank you. Um, and we'll be back sh- uh, soon enough, I think, with with you know the MJ Cast season four. Q and I are already recording different episodes and talking about what we're doing with season four. Um, shouldn't be more than a few weeks before we're back, ready with the first episode for season four, episode seventy five of the MJ Cast. Now, if you want to subscribe to us online, we highly recommend it. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher and you can find us on Google Play and lots of different places around. We're on YouTube. You just have to search the MJ cast and subscribe to us as a podcast. Why do we want you to subscribe to us as a podcast? 
Well, because we're a podcast. Yeah, you can stream us on the website, but you don't get everything when you do that. You basically don't get show notes right in front of you on your mobile device to click and follow and see what we're talking about, like videos and websites and that's a, that's a good thing. And uh, you also don't get the ability to pause us and go off and do other stuff and come back to your phone later and pick up where you were and, you know, you can take us with you in your pocket while you're exercising and doing all that sort of stuff. So, you know what? Consider subscribing to us as a podcast. You get notified straight away when new episodes come out. They get delivered right to your device and you get a notification saying the latest episode of the MJ Cast is here, ready to go. Hit play you're listening straight away. Subscribe to us as a podcast. That's how we intend to be listened to and we hope that's how you listen to us. Um, You can also connect with us on social media. Uh, We love interacting with our listeners. We are on Facebook. We are on Instagram. We are on Twitter as the MJ cast at the MJ cast. Um, make sure you add us on there. You'll see all of our latest news updates and um, memes and (laughs) new episodes and fun stuff. And you get to talk to us about Michael Jackson, which is really cool as well. Um, You can also reach out to us on email at um, themjcast at icloud.com. We get emails all the time from listeners all around the world. um, And we love hearing from you and we, we do our best to reply to all of you. So thank you very much for reaching out. Uh, we, we, Q and I feel so, so lucky and blessed uh, to be able to have such a wide reaching audience of people all over the world. Um, thank you very much for listening to the MJ cast. Um, and another thing I'd like to, to, to just sort of tell you guys is we, we gave a bit of a preview for what's coming in season four in our Christmas special for season three. And we talked about moving towards this, this model that we had an idea for it very early on in season one, where we would have lots of different correspondence for the show like a live performance correspondent a legal developments correspondent jackson family correspondent and regional correspondence for different areas around the world as different michael events happen in each corner of the world and and i'm very proud to report that a lot of a lot of that's coming into place a lot of the people we've reached out to to become our correspondents are accepting and very excited about it so season four is shaping up to be very very exciting um, and please stay tuned Um, we've got some great specials planned we've got some great news and discussion episodes planned and uh, we are capturing all of the the latest news developments that have happened in the michael and janet and jackson's world and 3t world since we last recorded and we've got all of those in our one note ready to discuss when we get back yeah so i hope q enjoys the last few days of his holidays in in europe i think he's in brussels at the moment um, enjoying his time there And uh, (laughs) I can't wait to chat with him again when he comes back. So just to wrap things up, thank you very much to everybody who listened to this episode of the MJ cast and being patient as I talk lots about the questions that have been sent in. Thank you very much to all of you who sent questions in um, to have answered. Uh, I've really enjoyed it. Thank you very much and have a great fortnight ahead. We'll be back soon. Keep Michaeling. Michaeling.